0: Internal emails show that the city of Vancouver knew that there wouldn't be enough shelter beds amid their decision to clear shelters off city streets. More than 100 tenants in another Toronto apartment complex are on rent strike. A correctional facilities report shows what officials believe to be appropriate and excessive force used by Edmonton prison officers, and floods in Haiti have killed more than 40 people and threatened an already precarious food supply. Good morning. It's Tuesday, June 6th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. First, we start in Vancouver. Postmedia journalists have obtained internal emails that show how staff were managing the planned encampment breakup in the city's downtown east side on April 5th and 6th. The emails show that city officials knew there weren't enough beds for everyone who would be removed in the encampment clearings, reports the Vancouver Sun, Nathan Griffiths. This is what activists and advocates had said at the time. The people being forcibly removed from their street level shelters would not actually be able to go anywhere. The city's weekly status reports indicated that on any given day, there were only, quote, about a dozen shelter beds available, unquote, Griffiths reports. Removing tents and other structures along East Hastings would displace more than 100 people. Worse, officials knew through these weekly reports that few among the displaced people even accepted city shelter beds when they were available, making it even less likely that these people would seek city shelter beds. The first day of the removal, the city mobilized 61 staff people and some number of police officers to do it. Postmedia estimated that they saw two or three dozen on-site police officers and that they guessed that there were probably more. That's a good guess, as there's usually like a one to three or one to four or even one to five ratio of the cops you see versus the cops who you do not see and who are hiding at any large scale activity. The city displaced 13 people the first morning, removed 12 structures, cleared seven tents from nearby parks, removed 31 propane tanks, and quote-unquote impounded two people's belongings. Unsurprisingly, only one person chose one of the six shelter beds that were available. I say unsurprisingly because who would agree to go to the same body for help and services that just forcibly removed you from where you were living? Later that day, the removal efforts were slowed by protests. But they still removed 16 people. 13 bins of people's belongings were seized. By then, there were 12 shelter beds available. By 5 p.m. on April 5th, BC Housing, which had said that they had 30 possible shelter beds, had dropped that number to six. By the end of the day, the city had seized more than 40 bins of people's belongings. On the second day, the city had 50 staff on site, not including police officers, though there were 12 new tents along Hastings that had been already re-put after they had been previously removed. On the second day, they displaced 16 people and 7 of 10 available shelter beds were used. Staff were then reduced due to quote-unquote fatigue, the internal documents say. Next to Toronto, where more than 100 tenants in Thorncliffe Park are on rent strike. They're protesting a proposed 10% rent increase over two years. The residents live in a three-building apartment complex. CBC features one of the tenants, Khalil Abdrubi, who settled in Canada as a refugee from the war in Syria. The rental increase would add almost $150 per month to his bill. His family can't afford this. He said, quote, We started feeling like someone is trying to kick out or push us out of our community and our home. Unquote. The building owner is trying to do the same thing that the other rent strike organized by the York Southwest Tenants Association is also protesting. They're trying to seek permission for a higher than allowed rental increase. It has not yet been approved. What's particularly vicious, though, is that if the Landlord Tenant Board approves the hike, tenants who had refused to pay the hike until it was approved would be expected to pay it back retroactively. CBC's Rihanna Lim also talked to Tricia Ann Israel She's lived there for 32 years, and she's afraid that the increase will force her to move. She said, quote, it is very mentally straining on us to think that we could be actually evicted out of our homes, especially after living here for so long and developing such a good community, such a good neighborhood. It takes a long time in the story to get to who actually owns these buildings. And the owner is a good reminder of how much of capitalism is buttressed by matrices of badness. The building is owned by Starlight Investments and a crown corporation called the Public Sector Pension Investment Board. They are one of Canada's largest pension managers. The Crown Corporation declined to comment, passing the journalist off to Starlight Investments spokesperson Danny Roth. Roth claimed that tenants are being unfair because the increase hasn't been approved yet, except, of course, the tenants have already been asked to pay the increase, lest they be dinged with retroactive payments if it is approved. Roth says that the rent strike puts people's safety at risk, though he isn't quoted elaborating on what exactly that's supposed to mean. Starlight is arguing that they need to increase the rent to pay for repairs. Except that rent is already supposed to pay for maintenance and upkeep, and that maybe the real issue here is, well, budgeting for one, Starlight and the Pension Board have to better budget for these things. The other issue is that we have a privatized retirement savings scheme. It means that for the retired StatsCan or Revenue Canada employee to be sure that they will be able to draw the pension that they have been promised or that they negotiated, it has been invested in real estate because real estate usually assures ready, steady returns to investors exactly by squeezing tenants through rent increases. If we had an actual public pension, we wouldn't need to be relying on private pension boards looking to turn the screws to the people that live in the real estate holdings that they have. Now to another story based on an access to information report. CDC News's Madeline Cummings is reporting that an internal report shows how prison guards in Edmonton used excessive force in trying to break up a fight between two inmates at Edmonton Institution. The guard warned the fighting men that they would use force to stop them from fighting, but the fight continued. And so guards fired two rounds at the inmates, one that hit one of the inmates and one that was quote unquote deliberately aimed that went through a fire door. Deliberately aimed to maybe expose this guy's shooting capacities. Uh, Okay. But that round, the one that went through the door or shrapnel from it, sprayed and scared someone else who was on the phone and caused him to spill coffee on himself. Then guards ordered a man lying down on his back to lie face down with his hands behind his back. The reporting doesn't make it clear if this man was related to the fight or not. Guards then hit the man eight times with a shield while also spraying him with pepper spray. The next day, inmates raised concerns about what was happening in the facility and their living conditions. They also raised concerns that their mental health was being negatively impacted, hearing gunshots being fired at them. Three days later, six correctional officers refused to work. They argued that the round of ammunition that hit the door represented a health and safety hazard, and so managers stepped in to staff the unit. Then, later the same month, when two inmates were fighting, a manager, quote, fired a warning shot from a rifle and used pepper spray, unquote. Rifles were subsequently removed. On February 1st, when an investigator from Employment Social Development Canada said that they found it to be dangerous that the employees were refusing to work. This is all information from this report, and it explains what it determines to be adequate use of force and what is excessive use of force. They found that the original rounds that were fired at the inmates to stop the fight were, quote, proportionate to the situations, unquote, but that the shield and pepper spray were as excessive force as a shield isn't supposed to be used as a weapon. One wonders what the finding would have said if the officers had used a boot instead of a shield. The investigation also looked at how short-staffed the institution is and that guards were working more than 6,000 hours of overtime per month prior to the incidences, partly that was caused by COVID and a lack of staff. The impact of this was taken out on the inmates, who were more confined to their cells than they should have been and had to deal with some areas of the prison being closed. The article ends with a quote from the Union of the Guards saying that they were pleased that no one had died and that things have since improved. But it also has a quote from a lawyer who blames the lack of mental health care, resources and terrible conditions for sparking tensions among the inmates. And finally, to Haiti, where floods over this past weekend have killed at least 42 people and at least 11 are missing. Floods damaged more than 13,600 homes and forced many people to evacuate. 85 people have been injured. The flooding damaged crops, which is particularly devastating since there is also a starvation crisis. Nearly half of all Haitians rely on food services from humanitarian assistance, a number that has doubled in just five years. People are trying to find temporary shelters, reports the Associated Press. Agence France-Presse reports that the city of Leogane was hit especially hard because the floods swelled three rivers. Leogane is 40 kilometers southwest of Port-au-Prince. This flood is not normal as it's still early in the hurricane season. Those are your headlines for this morning. It is Tuesday, June 6th. I'm Nora and folks, it's Sandy and Nora Day. We're back. We have a whole new episode for you going to drop in a couple of hours and I promise you're going to love it. Until then... Have a great morning, have a great day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.